everybody, and welcome back to the BC Buckets podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University basketball. This is our first post-regular season episode of the podcast, and we're up here in the coaches' offices at the Newman Flanagan Center, and we've got a full house today. We've got uh, Coach Figuera, we've got SID Kevin Potterbaum, we've got student coach Bobby Beach Pattison back, and then we've also got student coach Ethan Erdman joining us again. So today we're going to give everyone a little bit of insight into the team's mind frame going into the conference tournament, but also talk about uh, a pretty exciting game this last week. But before we do that, you know, I know early on in the season, Coach, we had talked about shoveling philosophies, and we hadn't really had an opportunity to do that the last few months just because the weather's been pretty okay in terms of snowfall. But I think today was probably the first significant, if you want to call it that, snowfall that we've had in a while. So did you get out there bright and early this morning? I wouldn't call it bright and early, but I, I have shoveled today, and I, I screwed up. I should have waited it out a little bit because – about an hour after I finished, my neighbor was out there with his snowblower doing half the block, so I probably could have just let him do it. But, you know, call me uh, ambitious today, I guess. You know, and the bad thing is when I got up here, it was still snowing, so I'm probably going to have to sweep through it one more time today, which I don't care to do it twice in one day. Bobby and Ethan, do you guys both live on campus? I'm actually off campus. Okay. Ethan is on campus, yes. So do you have driveway responsibilities, or how do you handle that where you live? So the way our house is set up is we actually uh, have an alleyway that we pull in and park our cars into, and we share that with uh, one of the houses next to us. And uh, so I don't necessarily have a driveway, but we have a kind of a back uh, sidewalk and then the main sidewalk for the mail carriers and such. And we actually have a really nice uh, neighbor who actually not only shovels our sidewalks, even though we do have a shovel, but she also puts ice melt down as well. And I, she's a, I think mid forties kind of lady who works in the in the dunes at the uh, surgical place up there. So she's uh she's pretty she's pretty nice and she's pretty good about uh, getting ice melting stuff down. So you're so you're telling me, Bobby, five college students living there, and you allow your forty year old neighbor to shovel your sidewalk? Ridiculous. Yeah, it sounds like to me, it sounds like she's nice and does that for you guys in the same way that my wife is nice and takes care of the laundry. She just does it because it doesn't get done if she doesn't do it otherwise so it sounds like that's probably what's going on yeah you know there's five of us college guys living there but uh, I will say in my defense this morning she was out there at uh, 7 15 when I was getting ready for church already shoveling so she kind of beat me to the punch so to speak let's talk about Dort and I think we're going to talk about them quite a bit today but uh, let's talk about the game we played up at their place this past Wednesday and coach it was another game where you guys were playing from behind and it seems like that's happened uh, a few times this year but what's been pretty exciting to see is that uh, in a lot of those games, it seems like that's when your guys play their most intense basketball. And that was the case again this week. I think you guys were down maybe 17 at one point, battled back pretty quickly in the second half and, and turned that into a game where you were able to win 95 to 92. Talk about that game and what was going on through everyone's minds, you know, especially last game of the season. You want to go into the conference tournament strong. Well, you know, I think we need to rewind to before the game. We'd really talked about, you know, putting everything we had into that game. It was our last game of the regular season. We were going to have a week off in between games, regardless of what happened, you know, and what shaked out in the in the conference standings and all that. And uh, we also talked about we're at a point in the year, you know, that last regular season week where everybody's kind of jockeying for position. Everybody needs to win games. Everybody wants to be feeling good going into the postseason, regardless of your individual circumstance. And, you know, we knew we were going to get a – a big time effort out of Dort on their home floor and uh, 
you know, we actually we came out the first few possessions. I thought we were pretty dialed in. We were up five five zero after a few possessions, and then the wheels completely fell off. You know, and I I can't really pinpoint it. I know offensively we had some really uncharacteristic turnovers. Defensively, we gave up a lot of second chance points in the first half, and you know, next thing you know, we're down double digits. We were down 17 right before half, and Jay Wolf hit a three to to cut it to 14, which in the moment, you know, maybe didn't seem like a big deal. I think in the grand scheme of that game, it was probably a bigger shot than it actually seemed like, you know, and you think about 14 versus 17, it sounds like a lot less when you're talking a 14-point deficit. And, you know, we, we talked at halftime. We made a couple pretty minor adjustments, um, but it was more we need to do what we do better. And we need to make them a little more uncomfortable. Um, we need to make sure we get good shots every possession. You know, so we come out in the second half, and I, I thought our intensity was was ramped way up. We traded baskets with them for a couple minutes uh, to, to open the half. And then, you know, we were still down 14, I believe, and, and Jay Wolf picked up his fourth foul with just under 16 minutes to go. And that was, you know, that's a devastating blow when you're talking about a guy who's had an unbelievable year. And – the way the guys responded when Jay went to the bench was was pretty impressive. You know, we went from down 14 when he went to the bench. I think we were up nine when he came back, and and he sat for 12 minutes. You know, and and being the unselfish teammate that he is, he told me a couple times not to put him in yet because we had it rolling. You know, and finally I um, overruled him, I guess. You know, and and so we we built I think up to an 11 point lead. So you're talking about a game with a unbelievably big swing and in leads and it wasn't a game where there was a ton of lead changes and a ton of ties it was just they jumped on us in the first half we jumped on them early in the second half and took the lead and then from there it was a little back and forth but we we led the whole game from pretty much 13 12 minutes on and uh you know they cut it down to two um and and our guys executed well nick lutmer hit a huge three with about 45 seconds left to extend our lead from two to five we actually turned it over against their press late in the game down three. They missed a three, and we got a rebound. Um, you know, and I think one of the best things we did all game was we went 19 for 19 from the foul line. You know, we didn't miss any. You know, in the second half, we really got the ball moving. We were, we were moving it. We were making extra passes. Um, you know, Jackson Lamb had a huge second half. Ethan Friedel had a huge second half. Um, and then a couple other guys I thought had huge games, in particular in the second half that, you know, you look at the box score and they're probably going to go more unnoticed. But, you know, Jeff Dobbinson came in. Um, Kyle Borhave and Austin Ropeman were in foul trouble. And Jeff came in and and gave us some huge minutes on both ends. I don't think he scored, but, you know, made a couple big-time plays, set a couple screens to get guys open. And then Nick Lutmer obviously hit that big three I talked about, but he also had nine rebounds, had a couple huge offensive rebounds that led to points. You know, so we had a lot of guys that played good games. And, you know, Jackson Lamb, I, you know, he had 30 points, so you're, that's going to stand out to you. But he also had nine rebounds. He had six steals. You know, and I think he really set the tone defensively, getting a couple deflections, causing a couple turnovers in the second half. And, and when we did that, we, got, we rebounded better. We forced a couple turnovers. All of a sudden, we're going to get some easy points out of that. And that's, that's a must when you're dealing with a deficit in the second half on the road. You know, you have to get some easy ones, and, and that really set the tone for us to start that second half. Coach, I know you've talked about this at times through the year, but Jaden Klein-Hesselink and his free throw shooting, 
He, he doesn't get the line a ton for you, but it seems like he's always at the line at the most clutch times where you got to have it. And yet again, he has two late free throws that those are about as center cut in that hoop as they possibly can be. I mean, what is his mindset, especially a young kid like that, to just have ice in his veins in that situation? Well, he, you know, first and foremost, he's a pretty tough kid. You know, he's a kid who, you know, came from a winning high school program. When he got here, he had played in plenty of big games. And so I don't think the moment's ever been too big for him. And I think as the season's gone on, you know, and he's taken a bigger and bigger role for us, I think it's skyrocketed his confidence. You know, and you said, I think he's missed one all year is all. Um, and he hasn't taken a bunch, but he has been at the line in some crucial moments of some huge games that we've ended up winning. And, uh, you know, it's it's a nice luxury when you're talking about a guy who he doesn't start for us, he plays big minutes, but a, a guy coming off the bench that's pretty automatic at the free throw line, especially late in games. Let's talk about Jay Wolf again because his minutes were obviously limited due to being in foul trouble. Um, and I think he sat, like you said, about 12 minutes of that game. You know, when you pull any player, but especially Jay, you know, do you have kind of an idea when you want to get him back in, or does it kind of depend on how the guys play without him? Because, I mean, the guys really picked up the slack without him in the game, and I could see how you wouldn't want to, you know, break that momentum, as weird as that is to say. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Jay's played 130-some games in his career at this point, and I think he's been in foul trouble three times. You know, so luckily it's not something we deal with a lot. It, it happened once earlier this year, and actually a really similar situation. We were down big at Arizona Christian, and he ended up sitting a pretty long stretch, and we made a huge comeback to, to make that a game. We ended up losing, but it was a heck of a comeback. You know, and so the guys have been really good in the two times that we've had to deal with that in responding and stepping up. You know, in that moment, you know, 16 minutes to go, four fouls. You know, number one, Jay's a really smart player, you know, and he's pretty good about not getting himself in positions where he's going to pick up a cheap foul. But, man, when you're talking four fouls, it, you know, unlucky stuff can happen. And, uh, you know, so I, I was a little nervous about it. I thought if we could get to 10 minutes, you know, and at least keep our deficit around 8, 10 points, you know, make a little bit of a push, you know, and then come back with him. Well, then it turns out at 12 minutes we were back up, you know, and then we kind of had it going a little bit, and so it just let us keep keep sitting him on the bench. And, and finally, with about four minutes to go, it was just at that point, you know, let's go do our thing and, and get back in there. But, um, you know, he just – I kept looking at him, and he kept saying, Coach, let it ride, let it ride. You know, these guys have it going. So, you know, there's a certain unselfishness to, to the way he approaches things too. Talking about Jay Wolf, uh, this last week it came out the top 50 uh, watch list for the – Bevo Francis Award. Talk a little about what it means to have Jay Wolf on that list. I mean, it's for those of you that are unfamiliar, the Bevo Francis Award goes to the top small college basketball player in the country, which basically includes any level outside of NCAA Division One. So you're still talking NCAA D2, a lot of JUCO kids making that list, uh, and, and our own Jay Wolf is on that list. So what's it mean as a coach to, to have a guy that's getting national recognition? Well, it means he's pretty dang good. You know, and he's having a heck of a year. Um, you know, and you, you think about that. I, I think in the press release it said there's over 1,100 schools that are that are eligible for their players to win that award. So you're talking upwards of 15,000 players across the country. And, and to be named as one of the top 50, that's obviously very impressive. And, you know, Jay, his stats speak for himself this year. You look at just his ranks in our conference, which is one of the best small college conferences in America – you know, he's second in scoring, he's first in rebounding, he's third in assists, he's first in three-point percentage, he's second in field goal percentage. I mean, and I can go on and on, 
the kids had an unbelievable year, and that's easy to see. What people on the outside might not always see, you know, and when we're talking awards, it's hard to see this too, but, you know, the impact he's had on our team and the way he's stepped up in a leadership role, um, you know, all season, but, you know, in particular since Eric got hurt, that's been as big as anything he's done on the floor, in my opinion. You know, so it's obviously a, a great – honor for Jay to be listed in that top 50 and obviously we hope he continues to to climb as they continue to cut that down but um, either way I mean that's an unbelievable recognition for him and obviously I, I, I've always said and I, I firmly believe when you when you have individual accolades and players win awards and all conference and all those things I do think there's always a, an element to a team success that goes right along with that because you don't you don't find a lot of first team all conference guys and all Americans that that aren't on good teams you know and, and I think that's the way it should be and and so there's a certain part of it that it's a whole team thing too not just a J thing and I'm, I'm sure he would be the first one to say that you know in a fun side story Bevo Francis played at Rio Grande back in the 50s he scored 113 points in a game once that's unbelievable I think I saw something on that release I think there was 55 points in the final 10 minutes Amazing. No three-point line in those days either. So let's turn our attention away from Dort and turn it over to Dort because uh, the final conference seedings came out for the conference tournament. Top eight teams got in, and you guys were kind of uh, jockeying with Jamestown for that number two spot. Jamestown took care of Morningside uh, this weekend in a pretty impressive performance, and so uh, that put you guys in that third spot. And so Dort's going to come to town as the sixth seed in the GPAC tournament. And that game will be on Wednesday the 20th at 7 o'clock here at the Cliff. Coach, is it difficult to turn around and play the exact same team within the span of about a week? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because I, I've been doing this for 13 years and in college basketball for 17 years, and I've never been a part of a situation like this. And it happens a lot. You know, it, it happened last year in the league. I think it was Dakota Weslin and Hastings that played on Saturday to end the regular season, turned around and played a first-round game on Wednesday. And this one's not exactly like that because – you know, we played them, and it's it's our most recent game, but they played Saturday, so they've had a game in between, so it's not the exact same situation. But for us, it's certainly, you know, an interesting situation where you're talking about a team we just played. We're going to turn around and play that same team again. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's. I don't think it's a huge deal. We're talking about postseason basketball, you know, and, and yeah, we just played each other. There's a lot of familiarity. Um, it's the third time we've played, and that's going to be the case with anybody in a conference tournament. You know, so – I think what we have to do is we, we take what, what happened last Wednesday, you know, what got us in trouble, um, what got us out of trouble, and what helped us win that game, and we need to try to figure that out and do that for 40 minutes. Um, you know, so it, it's an interesting deal, but uh, what else do you do? You know, you, you, you play the cards you're dealt. You know, speaking of the, the weird situation, um, I just kind of wanted to take a peek, and I was like, man, when was the last time – we have had back-to-back -back games, you know, end the regular season, then start the conference tournament. And last time for Briar Cliff was actually in 2010, ended the season on the road against Midland, and then first round of the GPAC tournament uh, was a win against Midland. Um, the other weird thing about this is this is actually the second year in a row that this exact situation has happened to Dort, where they have played a Wednesday game that was their opponent's final game of the GPAC regular season. Then that team's women team played College of St. Mary on Saturday. Dort had to play one more game and then had to go on the road because last year Morningside ended the year on Wednesday at Dort, picked up the win, and then Dort had the game against Briarcliff. Morningside was off, 
and then Dort had to travel to Morningside for the first round. So it's kind of a strange situation. You don't think would happen much, and it actually happened back-to-back years in this conference. Yeah, you know, and that's when when you're talking about a, eight teams making the tournament, it's bound to happen here or there to to have that same situation happen twice in a row for Dort. That's kind of amazing, actually. But um, you know, again, we're talking about a conference where you have a lot of really good teams and most years a lot of that stuff's going to come down to the last Saturday and that's what happened yesterday um you know outside of the one seed and the eight seed that was that was determined before yesterday's game started but two through seven there was a lot of different scenarios that could have happened yesterday and um you know the way my brain works I kind of knew them all you know and I I sat and watched all the games and you know but at the at, I watched them and it was entertaining because there were some really good games yesterday in the conference, you know, but at the same time, you, you can't stress about it. You know, we, we talked last week with our guys is all we can do is win Wednesday. That guarantees us a top three finish. Um, and from there, we can't worry about it. You know, we can't get caught up in, well, if this team beats this team or if this team beats this team because it doesn't do us any good, you know. And so at this point, we're going to prepare for Dort and – you know, we've got a group of guys that the last few years, they've won a lot of postseason basketball games. And, you know, we want to extend that and, and add to it and make sure we're ready to go Wednesday night and, you know, hopefully moving forward from there. Then on the other side of our side of the bracket, Hastings goes up to Jamestown. And so, uh, obviously, if we would win, we would play the winner of that game. Ethan, uh, I know Sweater Vest Saturday is, is a – is a tradition, especially during the regular season. Does that get switched up with postseason? Is every game a sweater vest game, or what's the plan for you guys on the on the bench as student coaches to make the GPAC tournament a little little more special? Uh, no, it stays pretty uh, pretty normal in the postseason. We still only wear sweater vests on Saturdays. Uh, that's where the magic is, is on Saturdays. So we just like to keep it like that. I'm sure Coach would say, you know, you're not looking to mix anything up. Co- coach says we look like idiots with them. <laughs> Yeah, that's it, that's very true. You guys do, but you know, postseason end of the year, you know, absolute best case, there's like 23 days left in the NAI basketball season. You know, at this point, it's not time to reinvent the wheel or anything like that. You you know, you kind of you got to dance with who brought you, and uh, you know, sweater vest Saturday brought these guys to a ridiculous amount of ridiculousness over the last two years. So again, that game will be Wednesday night against Dort. Uh, that's Wednesday the twentieth at seven o'clock p.m. We need to fill this gym. I know Dort's going to bring a lot of people down here to watch that game. They always travel really well. We're going to need uh, as many students and fans and supporters as we can in, in these seats to make this place a rocking place because this could be the last home game of the year. Uh, so let's let's certainly make it count. All right. So you two guys talking to Bobby and Ethan here, um, both nearing the end of your. Well, Bobby, your second year as a student coach. Ethan, your third, second with the varsity team. You know, and I've said this on this podcast before, but one of the, the primary prerequisites for being a good student coach in our program is you have to be pretty thick-skinned and you have to take a lot of crap from me. Um, you know, but let, let's, we'll talk about that plenty, I'm sure. But what, what's the most glamorous part of being a student coach at Briarcliff? Well, for me, it's hands down sweater vest Saturday. I mean, for for as ridiculous as you think it is, and uh, just kind of thinking about it the last two years in my head, it has a pretty high winning percentage. So as far as glamour goes, that's definitely number one on the list for me, at least. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Bobby on that one. It's definitely the sweater vest. Uh, it's just something about putting them on on a Saturday and you know, walking out and letting the, let the student section see what we're looking like. Even though it's been the exact same sweater vest <laughs> the whole year. 
that is one thing I was going to ask. If they're checking how you look, is there really only one sweater vest that you both own, or is there any time that you've mixed up the color or pattern? Well, I know that uh, me personally, I had a couple uh, that I kind of switched up with last year, but this year was the exception where um, one of our so-called gifts from Coach Figuera for the year was a uh, Briarcliff uh, logoed and embroidered uh, sweater vest. So me and Ethan have been uh, wearing that every single Saturday this year, and for the most part it's been uh, working out uh, at a pretty high level. Yeah, I'm on uh, same with Bobby there. I had uh, two sweater vests that I switched between last year, but uh, the one that Coach gave us just really puts those two to shame. So no point in bringing those out of the closet. Has the Blue Crew ever gotten involved with Sweater Vest Saturday? I don't I don't recall a game happening where the Blue Crew uh, joined you in that, but is that I mean is that something that's off limits? Is it sacrosanct to just the student coaches or is that something that you guys would appreciate having the the fan support as well? You know, it would be nice to have the fan support and it's definitely not off limits. I know there's been some murmurs from Jared Bodemer, the uh uh, associate uh, AD, uh, and he had kind of mentioned that the Blue Crew might uh, have an idea of doing a uh, a themed sweater vest uh, night and kind of get some really cheap uh, Briarcliff sweater vests. But as far as I know, the last two years, um, well, obviously the founders, uh, the founder Corey Hobbs uh, passed it on to us. But kind of the only one on the coaching staff this year who we so-called let into the sweater vest Saturday uh, club, and the only one that is kind of so-called brave enough to do it is uh, Coach Schultz. So it's kind of just between us three uh, usually, but uh, as far as the student section goes, it hasn't gotten there yet. So as student coaches, anyone out there who's thinking about reaching out to Coach Figuera with their resume or, or filling out an application to say, hey, I want to be part of this. I've seen those guys wearing those sweater vests, and that's something I've always aspired to, to be myself. What would be your advice to those, those guys who are looking to maybe jump into this? I guess I'll kind of start it out, uh, kind of what Coach Figueroa said. I mean, the number one uh, kind of thing you have to have as a student coach is a thick skin. And, I mean, Coach Figueroa and Ethan can attest to, out of both student coaches, I definitely get more of the uh, the uh, bull crap thrown at me uh, a good a good majority of the time. But uh, I like to think, for the most part, I can take it. But uh, after seeing some body language and uh, smirks and whatnot from Coach Figueroa on a daily basis. I don't think I take it as well anymore, but I like to think I dish it back for it pretty well. But uh, then again, I don't think so. Do you ever think that maybe it's you, and that's why you take more? You're clearly doing something wrong. You know, I always thought that it was just me, but then I keep coming back to the same uh, conclusion that I think that uh, Coach Figueroa just reminded uh, of me a lot himself so I think that uh, he kind of looks back at it and things like wow that's that's a younger Marks Figuera and Bobby there so I think that uh, we kind of relate uh, a lot so so let's go into that this is getting a little psychological here so you think coach Figuera sees some of him in you and so he's trying to get you on the correct path so that way you don't make the same mistakes he's made in life not the case Matt you know and yeah Bobby probably takes a little more crap out of the two than Ethan does. But I would say that Bobby brings a lot of that on to himself. You know, Bobby Bobby gets pretty mouthy sometimes. Um, you know, Bobby somehow has managed to skip multiple games and practices and scrimmages this year. And, and podcasts. You know, and podcast. And Ethan, he's kind of the steady Eddie, Mr. Reliable. Um, you know, always here on time, ready to mop the floor if he needs to mop the floor. And you know, he just kind of goes about his job and, and, and does it. And Bobby, you know, he gets – every once in a while he gets a little mouthy and, you know, wants to run his mouth. So, 
you got you to gotta keep him in place, I guess, so to speak. And back to the mop and the floor, it, it is accurate that he mopped the floor with Bobby in a race, correct? Well, you know, that, that brings on a whole nother topic here, Kevin, and, and we'll kind of get into that, I guess. So there's been two races between these two guys. One was an outdoor in the elements race um, at Hastings College when these guys were juniors a year ago on the football field, 40-yard dash, not close, Ethan by a good six, seven yards. Then there was uh, race 2.0 at Midland this year inside, um, climate-controlled environment, 60-yard dash. And what we learned that night, Bobby won that race at the end, we learned Ethan's a 40-yard dasher. You know, six, 60, 60 yards, you know, that's just a little bit outside of his range, and, and Bobby overtook him at the end. And, you know, we actually made a deal with our guys this year after Christmas. Every road win, Bobby and Ethan were going to have some kind of physical competition uh, dictated by myself. You know, now, unfortunately, we had some struggles on the road this second half of the year. And uh, so we had the win at Midland, um, you know, and they raced – and we had to win last Wednesday at Dort, which uh, was a push-up competition. They had to go down on my count, and it's just until one of them couldn't do anymore. And I will tell you this: when Bobby went down, I'm pretty sure Ethan had a good 20 <laughs> form push-ups left in him. Um, you know, so Ethan, I guess, wins the series all-time two to one. Um, you know, there was also. A couple different things going on at Mount Marty early in the year. I don't know if there's ever actually a competition, but they were supposed to do a long jump, and I forgot about it after the game. They have a little side room outside of our locker room with a array of equipment we could uh, get creative with. But uh, Ethan, I guess, gets the win 2-1. to one. Now, you know, if, if there's some circumstance where we go on the road in the conference tournament and, you know, get a win, Bobby's going to have a chance to even the score. So I guess that really begs the question, I mean, who's the better athlete between the two of you? Uh, so, yeah, so just to add to the push-up contest, um, well, Bobby had about, what, 20 push-ups, but uh, I would I had, consider... I had 21. I would consider over half his girl push-ups. Um, I, I want to know where this, like, how you think this is a girl push-up or how they were. Um, well, the first 10 are the only ones that I saw, and then uh, I started focusing on my rhythm, and I'm pretty sure Sfigera was on the ground yelling in our faces to down, so I was just more worried about that. I was just trying to rough him out. Yeah, you know, I really thought me taking my shirt off before I did the push-ups was going to help, but it really didn't at all. Well, yeah, because then I took my shirt off. <laughs> I probably got scared. But, no, I, I want to go back to this, the race at Midland, the 2.0 race. I, I am going to take away two things from that, considering it is my only win in the series so far. Um, number one, uh, I found out that I am a distance runner, so I really appreciate that uh, as far as my myself goes. And then uh, I didn't pull anything like uh, Jake built did. So I'd like to think at least I'm uh, more of a uh, better of an athlete than he was. So that's two things I'm taking away from that. Yeah, but if you're going to compare yourself to built and his racing at Midland, you're really setting the bar low for yourself as an athlete. No offense, Jake, but, you know, at that point I was about 30 years old and not in great shape at the time, and I really whooped built in that race. So I think you want to you wanna set the bar a little bit higher for yourself, Bobby. And to dispute that race, uh, the officials at the end of the 60 yards were John and Jackson. So we're not really sure if those are official results that you won that one. So, Bobby, this is a question I've been meaning to ask you. I've noticed it with you. I haven't really noticed it with Ethan. But uh, it seems like during the Lucky Duck, Chuck, you get super interested in uh, who wins that contest. It seems like you're looking over at the mat 
a lot uh, more intensely than you're paying attention to what's going on in the huddle. Is that is that just a competition that has a special meaning to you, or what is it about the Lucky Duck Chuck that is just so enthralling that you can't focus on your job? I think it's I think it's more just goes to the underlying you know theme here is that Ethan just kind of gets the job done day in and day out. You know, timeout, second half, he's locked in. You know, and he's on board duty making sure I have the marker board. And most importantly, he gets the marker board from me before I break it. Um, you know, and Bobby, he's just kind of off in his own world doing his own thing and paying attention to the lucky duck chuck, I guess. You know, in my in my defense, there was a time, I don't remember if it was last year when you were head coach or when you were still the assistant a few years back, but you had mentioned that during the lucky duck chuck, you either got struck by a duck or you were really close. So I'm, I'm just looking around and kind of trying to protect you because I don't want you to get hit because I know that timeouts and are really intense and, uh, and everything. So I'm just trying to do uh, as much as I can to help the program. I really feel like you're a few steps away from him, not in a position to actually deflect any ducks, more so to point and laugh if it were to happen. You know, that's actually on purpose uh, where I position myself for timeouts because um, in the ist- instance where we were playing at Dort and we ended up getting down 14 or uh, 15 or so in the first half, uh, I kind of looked over and at Dort, they don't have the chairs that you can separate and they uh, lock them up. So usually the board is sitting in between me and Ethan's chair, but uh, at Dort, it's uh, on my side. So I, uh, Ethan reached around me and gave Coach Figueroa the clipboard and I could kind of see his face is a little red. And I knew that uh, it was going to be a little bit of an intense kind of get stuff done timeout. So I purposely did not want to stand right by him and I do that at home games as well just because I know if it's going to be a big timeout conversation or not so I kind of sit on the opposite side of him and just take as much information in as I can another question I had for you guys how long have we had our own little timeout chairs when did that go into effect I'm gonna gonna take that one because that predates these guys being at Briar Cliff and I'm gonna say it started in the 12-13 or 13-14 season and and it was a deal where you know our women's team had always had timeout stools you know a lot of division one schools have them and uh coach nelson wanted to get some and i was actually kind of fighting i said that's kind of stupid we have these chairs we can do our timeouts on the bench whatever and then he finally made the point that kind of put me over the top and i said yeah that's actually a good idea you know and and the reason we have them is because when we when you're in a timeout five guys that are in the game are sitting right in front of the head coach and with the stools, it allows every other player to be behind those guys. And so now, as the head coach, you're addressing the entire team, as opposed to if they're behind you, you're addressing the five guys on the floor. When a lot of times there's pertinent information that's being given that everybody needs to know, and they might not hear you. Um, it just allows for a more locked-in timeout from everybody involved, you know. And so that's why we did it. Um, we've had those same chairs. It, it has to be probably six years now. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of the most feared jobs of a student coach is having to carry the timeout stools. You know, they go in a bag and a little awkward, mildly heavy. Um, I don't know that Ethan's ever actually carried them. He kind of makes Bobby do it, but, uh, he says he's done it twice this year, but, uh, so that, that's the backstory to those. And now, you know, it's one of those things where we've had them for so long and it's kind of become a routine and, uh, I like having them. So we've just kept them. Well, and it gives you a little bit of continuity, too, with away games and with home games, and you kind of have the same drill and the same routine when you go into a timeout. And I don't know you know, if that plays a big part, but mentally I would think you know, just having a little bit of consistency, even when you're on the road, by seeing your logo when you go to sit down in a timeout just because it, it's a little bit of a taste of home, you know, that probably has some psychological benefit. Probably not, but it sounds like it makes sense to me. 
So whose job, I assume it's one of you two student coaches, whose job is it to make sure that those get on the bus and travel with the team? So like Coach Figueroa kind of stated, uh, this year it's been more me. I know there's two two times, I believe, Ethan, that uh, Ethan's had to carry him once when uh, recently the team traveled to Hastings that I not make a trip uh, due to an illness. But the other time, uh, it was an uh, exhibition preseason game down in Creston. We played uh, Swick down there, and I actually – took that game off and had a leave of absence for that game as I went down and watched the Nebraska Cornhuskers and Scott Frost get their first of many victories uh, against the Minnesota Gophers team. So those are the two times Ethan's done them, uh, but uh, the other times it's usually uh, me who gets them on the bus and make sure they're at games. What Bobby failed to mention, and um, it was because he missed that scrimmage and then missed the following practice the next day due to a Phil Collins concert, <laughs> that he has been on chair duty as a punishment. And funny story about the, the chairs, uh, when we were making our trip down to Arizona, Spaghetti and I uh, convinced Bobby that we were taking the chairs with us on the plane to Arizona. And so it's, what, like 5 a.m. on the, the day we're leaving, and Bobby's getting the, we're getting the bus packed, and Bobby's got the chairs, and he's taking them down to the bus. And right as he sets them in, Spaghetti tells him we're not taking them. And, <laughs> and I walk down, and I go, Bobby, you actually think we're going to take those through the airport? <laughs> so that's just a funny story. And also... Uh, uh, stipulation with the with the contest after the game is the loser has to carry the chairs for the next away game and so Bobby had his chance to get off chair duty and failed miserably yeah but it's really funny the only time to implement that is after I win my first event out of the series they say all right starting after this event we're gonna start doing whoever wins a competition does the chairs so I thought that was really ironic is it ironic Bobby <laughs> or was it just interesting timing and something that you didn't think of on your own to come up with it was ironic I'm sticking to my word so I asked you guys earlier about the glamorous sides of the job, you know, and the, the students and the fans, they see you on Sweater Vest Saturday and on the sideline and all that stuff. But the reality is it's not all that glamorous of a job. You know, there's a lot of stuff that really isn't that fun to do. What, what, what are the non-glamorous parts of the job? And you, like, what's the worst part of being a student coach? Um, I would have to, definitely have to say after practices and games when uh, we get the laundry basket or laundry bag out and the guys just kind of toss their jerseys aside and, you know, me or Bobby have to go pick them up off the ground all sweaty and gross and, you know, the towel bag too. They just got done taking a shower and leave it on the floor and we come over and they're just soaking wet. Isn't there a hamper or something in the locker room? Can we get one of those lined up if there's not? Yeah, there's a there's a hamper in the, in the locker room too, but they just throw their uh, – Jersey's over there sometimes, and sometimes they just fall outside, and uh, it's our job to pick them up, I guess. Yeah, no, I would probably have to agree with Ethan. Um, a, a couple things in the laundry probably is not uh, so glamorous, especially when we have a home game, and there's a guy who probably doesn't know he has a cut on his arm or something, and he kind of bleeds and gets on the white jersey. So just making sure that uh, we get those uh, all taken care of and all clean and stuff and then hung up so they're not wrinkled for the next game because there are a few guys on the team who kind of do complain about a wrinkled jersey. So they're a little bit of high maintenance, but – it's nothing Ethan and I can't handle. So how do you get blood out of a jersey? So we actually have this OxyClean spray, and then we have uh, this powder that we use, and uh, it's actually a methodical process as far as the powder goes. You, uh, so you take one scoop and you dump half it uh, into the washing machine before you put the jerseys in, and then uh, you put the jerseys on top of that layer, and then you bore the other half on top afterwards. So uh, it is a little bit of a process, but uh, it's just a part of the job. All right, so rapid-fire questions. You know, we have two of you here. So you're both going to answer these questions. Um, first question, best memory, favorite game, anything like that in your time as a student coach with the basketball program? 
I'd say mine was uh, in the national tournament last year in the uh, Sweet 16 game when we were playing St. Thomas and uh, just from the three-point line in particular, but just from the field in general, we just shot the ball amazing, uh, had a great game. Um, it was a little, uh, I don't want to say scary, but a little hesitant going into that game because the practice before we, shooting-wise, probably had the worst shooting practice of the year. But uh, we came into that game against St. Thomas and defensively and offensively we played uh, the best game we had all year. So that was pretty cool to see, and that's probably my favorite memory from uh, being a SUNY coach is that game, Sweet 16. Uh, I would probably say my favorite memory would be the Arizona trip we took earlier this year. Just uh, spending the whole week down in Arizona with the team. and uh, Unfortunately, only, we uh, only won one game and lost a game. But just the just the whole trip in general will be something I'll remember forever with the guys. You know, speaking of remember on that trip, uh, I still can't wait for the uh, the dinner that Coach Figueroa has taken uh, the senior guys from Top Golf out for that. So can't wait for that. You had one job, Bobby. You were supposed to set that up and coordinate that, and you've yet to do it. So I don't want to get thrown under the bus because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. We already had said this to you that we would like to uh, attend Jim's Burgers uh, for a nice meal. All right. This is a true or false question. True or false. Bobby one time punched Nick Lutmer in the face. True. Yeah, very true. We, we can't just leave it there. What's going on with this story? I guess I can tell my version, and then as a third person, Ethan can kind of give his perspective. But So um, I want to say, as most of you know, uh, but I don't think I can because there's still some classmates of mine that through four years don't know that I'm a golfer at Briarcliff. So um, I am a part of the men's golf team here at Briarcliff. In my freshman year, we played a uh, day one of our two-day home tournament at Dakota Dunes. Uh, and a lot of people know that's a course that Arnold Palmer uh, designed. But played there. It's a really tough course. And we teed off at 9 a.m. And from 9 to about 12, 31 o'clock, it downpoured rain. And we didn't call it off. And we had to keep keep playing. And uh, uh, so I ended up shooting, uh, I believe, exactly. Uh, so par is 72 out there. And I shot a um, 125. Uh, so, yeah, I doubled up on the old... <laughs> Almost doubled up on the old scoring, but uh, <laughs> I came back to uh, Toller and all the basketball guys uh, were living on first floor Toller there, and they were all having uh, poking some fun at me, uh, calling me 40 over and 40 over boy and all this stuff. So I kind of got pretty heated because uh, I had to fill out a stat sheet afterwards, which uh, was not too thrilled on, but uh, it kind of escalated, and I don't know what provoked me, but I went in my room, and all of a sudden I had my door open, and I kept hearing them making fun of me, and Lutmer decided it'd be a great idea to come step into my room and just like stare me in the eyes and call me 40 over three times in a row and then leave. So then I went into his room and to this day, I mean, I still feel absolutely terrible about it, but I feel like our friendship has grown and I kind of, kind of clocked him in the jaw and into the ear a little bit and I still feel really bad about it. And I think that's the fastest I've seen Eric Erdman move in his entire life, trying to jumping off the top of a, of a loft, breaking us up, but. Just for a quick sidebar, wouldn't 40 over be a compliment since you were technically 53 over? <laughs> you know, 40 over was a real compliment. And they actually, the underlying fact of that tournament was day two, I followed up with a smooth 81. So I was able to uh, get back to my roots. And uh, I did finish 62 over. Thanks, uh, Coach Figueroa, for the math. But uh, I was able to really dial it in and get back to my strengths and uh, get rid of my weaknesses and uh, hit, a, hit a solid 81 the next day. Uh, just a question. So what place did you take in that tournament? Well, that's actually another funny story. So we had more than 10 guys in that tournament, and the way that we do it is we go uh, the top five are varsity, the second five are JV, 
and the rest are just individuals. So basically you're playing, but like you're not really playing at all. You're kind of just like out there having fun. So technically my score counted, but as far as place goes, I don't think I ended up having a place at all. I say, as a sports information director, I can tell you that anybody who golfs as an individual still qualifies in the individual standing. So right now, he's just simply ducking the question. I, I was not in any contention to get a medal. That's all I'm saying. Well, I think what's really cool about that whole story, though, is that absolutely anyone, regardless of if they've ever played a sport, can get a college scholarship. Well, the thing, the, the last thing I'll say about this before Ethan maybe tells his story is that the the thing that really kind of set me over the edge, and as a lot of people who know the GPAC, uh, Colton Coima from Northwestern uh, last year, really good basketball player, actually really good stick on the uh, golf course as well. He uh, came in after that, about 10 minutes after I did, and one of his buddies goes, oh, hey, Colton, uh, how'd your round go? He goes, oh, I didn't play very well at all today. I kind of struggled putting a little bit. And he says, oh, so where'd you shoot? Colton Coima proceeds to say 73. <laughs> so I was pretty pretty ticked off about that, but uh, good for him. I think he actually ended up placing top five in that tournament, so kudos to him, I guess. Yeah, so I'd say Bobby's stories checks out for the most part. <clears throat> I will have to say uh, my brother and I were probably the – person the people that uh made fun of him the most uh and then nick just kind of jumped in at the end and said i guess the wrong things at the wrong time and yeah i got punched let's go back to the lucky duck chuck uh bobby what is the key to winning the lucky duck chuck do you want to hit the mat or do you want to hit a few feet before the mat and let it roll up on you know this past saturday when the women hosted college of st mary that's the first time i participated in lucky duck chuck in my four years at Briarcliff. Um, cause usually I was either taking stats, uh, the scores table during games or I'm obviously on the bench, but, uh, I mean, as, as much as I've seen in my philosophy, I think the, the best key is to kind of hit it on the volleyball line in front of the mat and just hopefully you get a, a good lucky bounce. Uh, unfortunately I can't give any tips for this cause I don't watch the lucky duck chuck every game like Bobby does. So, <laughs> all right. So last question in a very extended drawn out lightning round. You guys, uh, during practice sometimes or before practice, you have your own competition shooting-wise. I think you've played in the post one-on-one before. Who generally wins those competitions when you guys uh, go one-on-one basketball-wise? Yeah, so we've done post competition and some three-point shooting competitions. And the three-point competition, uh, he caught me on an off day. Didn't really make a lot of shots. But uh, the post competition, it's not even close. I absolutely dominate him down low. He cannot move me. And uh, I just – Move him like a rag doll. Yeah, I'll concur with that. Uh, when it comes to the post, Ethan is uh, a little bit of a man-child, and I just uh, lack the uh, superior skills. But uh, when it uh, when it comes to three-point contests, I'm a uh, um, really really pure shooter. Uh, that's actually the reason why I am actually sitting in the first chair of the uh, on the bench. Is we had a three-point competition last year that I successfully won a couple times. So that's actually why I'm on the first chair. So we uh, we do have a little bit of uh, competition, but when it comes to the low post, uh, Ethan definitely wins. Yeah, Bobby's three-point shooting is almost as good as his golf ability. All right, well, thanks, guys, for coming in and doing the student coach edition of the uh, BC Buckets podcast. I'm sure we'll have one or both of you on again as we go into postseason play here in the next few weeks. But uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and start to close things up. Once again, we didn't have any listener questions this week, so we don't have anything to uh, ask Coach and Kevin and our student coaches here. So uh, if you can get around to it, make sure you get those into us. We only have a few episodes left for this season. So get those to us on Twitter at, at @bcbucketscast or through email at bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. Let's go into our shout-outs portion of the podcast. We'll start with Coach Figuera. 
Yeah, my shout-out this week goes to all of our bench players and our scout team because, you know, what they do on a daily basis um, goes pretty unnoticed from the outside. You know, but from inside our program, we know how big of an impact they've had on the success we've been able to have this year. And, and we have a lot of guys who are tough dudes, hard workers, great teammates that every day they they compete like crazy against our top guys and uh, and they've made us better this year, no doubt about it. And so I want to give them a shout out for the energy they bring on a daily basis, the energy they bring during the game. And I don't always realize it until I watch the film, but uh, there's a lot of energy at the end of our bench during games, and and that starts in practice. So shout out to all those guys. I have a couple shout outs. First, uh, a shout out to the baseball team for uh, just sticking with it and driving further and further and further south until they finally could play a game. They were supposed to play a couple games in Kansas City this weekend. They ended up going all the way down to uh, Texas to get some games in. Uh, won the opener against Jarvis Christian, eight to one. Um, great to see the guys going out and you know on the field. And then my other shout-out goes to Courtney Schaefer, uh, all-GPAC performer for the volleyball team for Briarcliff. Um, credit her for settling in life as she accepted the proposal of one Bobby Beach Patterson. So I guess a sidebar off of that is shout-out to Bobby for, for popping the question and thankfully getting a yes. Yeah, definitely I'll kick in my coverage without a doubt. I'd uh, like to give a shout-out to Jim Johnson. Uh, he always provides a team after games with a uh, delicious treat, whether it be brownies or cookies. So I want to give a shout-out to him and his wife for always uh, providing that for uh, for the men's basketball program uh, every single every single game. So thanks, Jim. I don't have a shout-out as much as a, a call for shout-outs. Uh, I participate on Briarcliff's Gold Crew Committee. It's basically a young alumni committee, and uh, we have the goal of trying to build more engagement with alumni of the last 10 or 15 years or so. And so uh, we've created, starting this year, an award, an annual award called the Gold Alumni Award, basically to recognize a graduate of the last decade who has done outstanding things uh, to basically continue living Briarcliff's mission and values after graduation. So uh, if you have someone you'd like to nominate for that, you can find the nomination form online if you go to the alumni page. It's called the Gold Alumni Award. Uh, I think it's great that uh, you know we recognize alumni who you know are, are pretty recently out of the university because I think a lot of our alumni go out into the world and start to do some some big things immediately upon graduation. So again, if you have somebody in mind who you think should be recognized, go to briarcliff.edu, go to the alumni page, look for the Gold Alumni Award form, and uh, put your nomination in for that. Uh, I'd just like to give a shout out to the uh, student section at our games. They've been there pretty much all year, and uh, we'll need your support uh, Wednesday night and hopefully down the road. All right, so make sure you get to the Newman-Flanagan Center on Wednesday the 20th at 7 o'clock. Briarcliff takes on Dort in the first round of the GPAC tournament. Uh, like I said, we would, if we would win that game, we would go on to play the winner of Jamestown in Hastings, and that game would take place on Saturday, location pending, of course, based on the better seed. So, you know, at this point in the season, there's a lot of things up in the air. Uh, thanks again for everybody out there who's listening to this. We will be back next week. Thanks again. Thanks again.